Thank you for supporting the media outreach of New Covenant Christian Ministries. Through the powerful preaching and teaching of Pastor Bill and Dr. Deanne Johnson, family relations are being restored. The wayward are returning to God. And together, we are transforming all people into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Join us now for a message that will strengthen you in your faith and encourage you to be all that God has designed you to be. Well, for the month of May, uh, our pastors have set aside that we would focus on healthy relationships. Amen? And uh, so starting in the beginning of the month, our marriage, uh, our couples have been in a marriage intensive on Wednesday nights. And uh, I have had the privilege of uh, ministering to our single and significant group, amen, on Wednesday nights. And so um, we are blessed here at New Covenant that we have pastors who have vision, uh, not just for us to do ministry, for, for us to be whole and healthy in our relationships and in our, um, and being able to live out our faith, amen. So I'm very uh, blessed to be a part of that. <clears throat> but not only is relationship important to our pastors, but most importantly, relationships are important to God. Uh, and they are guarded at God ordained. And, you know, we've heard our pastor say uh, over and over again that everything we need is in a relationship. And so God has never designed us to live this life alone. If you go through scripture, you will find over 51 another's in the Bible. So God has never designed for us to live this life alone. We are not long rangers. And uh, I even think that that was the uh, misnomer that the long ranger was a long ranger because he wasn't because he had Tonto. So he, even the long ranger wasn't alone. So God has never designed us to walk alone. But we have to be very deliberate about walking in healthy relationships. Uh, because the enemy will have nothing else but for us to live in relationships that are dysfunctional, unhealthy, and just not good for us. Amen? And so as I was preparing uh, for the word today, uh, two passages uh, came to me. Uh, one I just want to hit, just highlight really quickly in First Thessalonians 5. Uh, 12 through 15, there are some specific characteristics that Paul lists uh, that should be evident of healthy relationships. Now, I'm not going to rest here. My, my message is coming from somewhere else, but I wanted to really highlight these because sometimes we're like, so what does a healthy relationship really look like? What are some characteristics of a healthy relationship? So Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 15, Dear brothers and sisters, Honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. And live peaceably, peacefully with each, of, with each other. Brothers and sisters, he says, er, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, Take tender care of those who are weak and be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always tries to do good to each other and to all people. And so characteristics of a healthy relationship, 
uh, are where we respect and appreciate our spiritual leaders, those who take care of us, who provide us our spiritual direction and instruction. And let me just say, that's not just our pastors. <clears throat> Hear me. Because we think as long as we respect our pastors, we're doing what God No. The scripture says, appreciate our spiritual leaders and those who care for us and provide spiritual direction and instruction. There are other people that our pastors will release that will provide that spiritual direction and oversight. So it's just not our pastors. I want you to align yourself with what the word says. Amen? Then it says we got to live peacefully with all people. And Romans alludes to you live at peace with people as best you can. Some people just won't let you live at peace with them. All right? So ain't no sense us banging our head against the wall when they are just not going to allow you. You are not held responsible for them. You are held responsible for you. So it says, as best you can, as much as people will allow you, live at peace with them. We're talking characteristics of healthy relationships. We have to warn those who are idle or lazy, unruly, people who are not living right. See, we can't, we can't afford to say, well, you know what, that's them. No. If you're going to be in a healthy, healthy relationship, you have got to warn people who are going astray. All right? We're not off the hook with that. Healthy relationships. We're talking healthy relationships because this relationship the one we have with God, we want that healthy, but in that, God causes us to work on these relationships. Amen? So living at peace, respecting, we got to encourage and comfort. If we're in healthy relationships, that means we are encouraging and we're comforting those who are timid, who are discouraged, who are faint-hearted. We're encouraging those people. And yes, sometimes it looks like we're encouraging them all the time. <laughs> But we have to, if healthy relationships. We got to help the weak. We got to be patient towards people. Not impatient, patient. How long do we be patient? We are patient as long as they need for us to be patient. And one of the things that I think, when I think about my own life, I have to learn, how has God been patient with me? How has God been patient with me. And that is my dictator. That is what I align, that's my plumb line for my patience for other people. So in that, I don't run out of patience because God doesn't run out of patience with us. Amen? So it says that we got to be kind to people. We just got to be kind. Our pastors did uh, the last couple, what, back in March and April, we, uh, Pastor D, I believe, talked on kindness. Just being kind to people. A smile, a hug, a gesture, and not seek revenge. My God, help us today. Because sometimes we think people deserve to be got back. Am I the only one? <laughs> All right. So those are characteristics of healthy relationships that Paul lays out in Thessalonians. And so these things should be consistent in our lives. But as I thought about, as I thought about that, as I thought about the principles that uh, our pastors have been talking about the past two weeks, 
the question came to me, how do we maintain healthy relationships? How do we do that? How do we stay on tax? How do we walk that line that God is calling us to walk to have healthy relationships? Because healthy relationships honor God. Dissension and division and schisms and chisms and all of that, that doesn't honor God. Because God is a loving God. And sadly, those things have crept into our churches. And we brought them in. We are guilty. We are guilty. Now, mind you, we do know that the church is, is, is full of imperfect people. So as soon as we walk in the door, if we're looking for a perfect church, we messed it up because we walked in. All right? Amen? Amen. There is nothing perfect but God. He is it. So anytime we think we have found the perfect situation, when you walked in it, it became imperfect. Because we are all imperfect. The Bible tells us our best is as a filthy rag unto him. And so we don't even kind of get the big, we don't even have an opportunity to really get the big head about who we are because we are nothing in and of God, nothing. And so how do we maintain these relationships? How do we walk in these relationship principles that we are learning? Well, I believe James gives us some hints. So if you go to James chapter one, and this is where we will rest. James chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 19 through 21. 19 through 21. So I believe that James has some things to say about relationships. So just a little background. So this book was written by James, and our, our biblical historians say that this was the brother of Jesus. And that his primary, his primary, primary reason for writing this book was to help us live out our faith. To be a doer and not just a hearer of the word. And what better way do we live out our faith than through our relationships? What better way? Do we, do we walk our faith out loving you know, unconditional, that we do that through relationships. So James 1, verse 19 through 21, it says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man, every woman, every boy, every child be swift to hear. Swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Let's do that again. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man, every woman, every boy, every girl be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Next verse. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God, the wrath of man, does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness 
and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. That's it right there. Maintain healthy relationships. So I believe that these verses focus on three key elements. When, when, when we think about relationships, three things came to mind for me. Um, maintaining whether we're married, and as we said in the singles class, single and satisfied or seeking and seek, uh, single and seeking, wherever you are. Whatever your relationship status is, that we can follow James's advice in three areas that I think are key for us. Our attitudes about relationships, our communication in relationship, and dealing with the anger. So I just want to uh, just unpack that. Unpack that we focus on. So first thing, when we look at verse number 19, James tells us that we must develop an attitude that will help us in our relationships, whatever that relationships look like. So we have to adopt, the first thing is that we have to adopt a, a, an attitude that will promote healthy relationships. So, okay, so what's the attitude? What, what, what attitude do we need to adopt? Well, the first thing he says, he says, you have to be swift to hear. So you have to decide in your mind right now, if I'm going to have some healthy relationships, my attitude has to be that I am going to be swift to hear and slow to speak. That starts here. It can't wait till it's in your mouth and out. You got to set your mind. You got the purpose in your head. You got to have the attitude that I am committed to being swift to hear and slow to speak. But most times we have that backwards. What do we do? We have adopted the attitude that we're going to be quick to speak and slow to hear. Right? I have a pastor friend of mine. We, have to, we got to bring it. What do you say? Bring it down and bring it in. We got to bring it down and bring it in when it comes to us deciding we're going to be quick to hear and slow to speak. So when we think about these two words, this, this Greek word for swift means that we are speedy. Kind of like, y'all, y'all remember that? I don't know if I'm going to age myself. Speedy Gonzalez? <laughs> yeah, Speedy Gonzalez or, or the, the, the tortoise in the hare where he's speeding. So it's, the, it's that concept of speedy or, or without necessary delay. Y'all know sometimes we we will purposefully delay some stuff, right? So when when the scripture says we're swift to hear that we there is no unnecessary stuff. We ain't putting the brakes on for we we swift. We're not gonna put the brakes on to hear, cause y'all know. Well, no, let me back up. Let me slow this process. No, not when it comes to hearing. The scripture tells us to be swift to hear, to be prompt. No time lapses. Y'all know y'all see when they do those time lapses and they slow things down. We don't get that privilege. We have to be swift to hear. Swift to hear. Swift to hear. And this word hear, some versions say listen, that we have to be in a position that we are listening, hearing, so that we can comprehend what is being said. That we give audience to what is being said. Like you're sitting, listening that we sit down 
to hear what people are saying. Yesterday, uh, we were here, and uh, Miriam did an awesome job with uh, world-class uh, customer service. But she gave us a, um, she was breaking us up into groups. And I said and I observed, because people were missing their numbers because they, were, they weren't swift to hear her. They was trying to figure out what group they were in. And so people were getting off on their numbers because they weren't quick to hear. All I heard was that she was counting off, and then they started in their head counting off, and then they were calling out the wrong numbers. Oh, that ain't my number. That's your number. Because they weren't swift to hear. And we are guilty of that. Y'all know sometimes we've been talking to people, and we have already formulated in our head our reply, our rebuttal, our response, our reaction, before they even get done. And then... Because you have shut down, you start talking and responding to stuff, and they looking at you like, what are you talking about? That ain't even what I was talking about. Because we are not swift to hear. We're swift to speak, but we're not swift to hear. Proverbs 10 and 19, I'm going to just give you some verses. If you want to work on your tongue, read Proverbs. You want to work on your hearing, read Proverbs. Proverbs 10 and 19 says, when words are many, sin is unavoidable. Let me read that again. That was Proverbs 10 and 19. <laughs> when words are many, sin is unavoidable. You're going to get caught up in some stuff if you keep running your mouth. It's unavoidable. But it says, but he who restrains his lips is why. So sometimes, y'all, it's just good to have the discipline of silence. That's Proverbs. That's King Solomon. He says in Proverbs 17, 27, a man of knowledge restrains his words and a man of understanding keeps a cool head. Proverbs 29 and 20 says, do you see a man who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for him. We got to watch our mouths, y'all. We got to be swift to hear and slow to speak. Proverbs 18 and 13 says, and I love this in the Message Bible, it says, answering before listening is both stupid and rude. <laughs> what? That, that was a message. The NLT, that same version, says, sprouting out spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. We have got to be mindful and set our minds, have the attitude that we are going to be swift to hear and slow to speak. Amen? So when we adopt this attitude to be quick to listen and slow to speak, we can avoid things that cause us to experience unhealthy relationships. Yeah, just, just kind of do a mental evaluation. How many of your relationships are messed up because of your mouth? <laughs> that you're on the, on the outs with somebody because of something you said. Harsh words. And y'all, once we speak them, we can't get it back. We can't go, oh, give me that back. Nope, we can't get it back. So harsh words, negative comments, Unwanted 
and unnecessary advice. Sometimes it's not so much unwanted or unnecessary, but it's untimely, the right words at the wrong time. We misinterpret what people are saying. We jump to conclusions. And the bottom line, we just downright disrespectful when we are not swift to hear and slow to speak. We want to maintain healthy relationships. This, this ain't stuff we get one time and we lay it down. This is a daily process. This is daily. This is how we live out. When, Paul, when I said that James wrote this so we can walk our faith out, that's walking our faith out. That we deliver. Okay, Lord, today I'm going to be quick to hear and slow to speak. I think I shared the last time I preached that um, I got a scripture right on my desk, right in my computer when I look up, and it's Colossians 4 and 6. God, let my words be seasoned with grace. Let them be, no, let them be gracious and seasoned with salt that I might know how to answer everybody. I need that because I will say it and be like, okay, well, forgive me for that. I don't want that. That doesn't represent the God in me. So I got to align myself and daily walk that. So I got to keep it visible. I don't know about y'all, but I need to see mine. All right? So we got to be careful. We got to be slow. Got to be quick to hear, quick to hear. Barnes Notes commentary says this. The ancients have some, have some sayings on this subject, which is well worth our attention. Men have two ears, but one tongue. They should hear more than they speak. The ears are always open, ever, to, ever ready to receive instruction, but the tongue, y'all listen to this, but the tongue is surrounded by a double row of teeth to hedge it in and to keep it within its proper bounds. We need to learn how to close our mouths and keep our ears open if we want healthier relationships, amen? But think about that. God was strategic in how he even made us. Our ears are open, but he has set that tongue behind two rows of teeth. And if we keep it closed, it can't go to wagon. That's a, we got to, we serve a smart God, y'all. We serve a smart God. So the first thing is we got to, we got to decide if we're going to maintain if we're going to maintain the healthy relationships in, if we're going to build the healthy relationships, we have first got to adopt the attitude that we are going to be what? Quick to hear and slow to speak. The second thing is we got to avoid anger that shreds our relationships. We got to avoid the anger that hurts or destroys our relationships. He says in that second, the, the last part of that clause, be slow to anger. The King James, I believe, says, be slow to wrath. Now, here's what I don't want you to say, the scripture said. It doesn't say don't get angry. It doesn't say that. And if anybody has taught you that, that's false doctrine. It's a lie. It's heresy because the scripture doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say we cannot get angry. Ephesians 4 says, be angry but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. So it doesn't tell us not to be angry, but it does say 
We need to be slow to get angry, all right? And so this, so this word angry is this concept. So, mad, so oftentimes people think angry and mad is the same thing. No, it's two different things. Because when you're mad, you just outburst. you out of control. Can't nobody do nothing with you. But when people deal with anger, it's, it's, it's almost this um, settling that you begin to sit in what you upset about. That's dangerous, y'all. Because now you sitting in, you stewing in it. You letting it marinate. You plotting. <laughs> you trying to figure out how I'm going to work this out for my, on me. So this will look good on me. So you sit in it. It's this settling. That's what the scripture is. And that's what he said. He said, be slow to be settled in what is upsetting you. We think we justify. Well, I'm just processing it. No, you sitting in it. You ain't processing that. What you process is how I'm going to get them back. How I'm going to deal with this because they don't embarrass me. That's what you process. The scripture says be slow to settle in what is upsetting you. If you're going to maintain healthy relationships. All right? So, Again, Proverbs deals with this issue. He said, Proverbs 14, 29, a patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man promotes folly. Look at that. A quick-tempered man promotes folly. He all about mess. Proverbs 16 and 32 says, he who is slow to anger. Y'all listen at this. He who is slow to anger is better than a warrior. A warrior. Somebody who fights, who stands, that if you control your anger, you are better than the best fighter. And it says, he who controls his temper is greater than one who captures a whole city. Y'all think about the implication of that. You are greater than a warrior, you are better than somebody who can go out and capture a city if you are slow to anger. Look at the weight that God puts on us being angry. And we all around here flipping off at the mouth, thinking we justified in being mad and upset with people. And God is saying, you are greater than a warrior and somebody who can capture a city if you are slow to get angry. Look at the weight of that. And yet we do the opposite. We do the opposite. Now, anger is running rampant in our society. It, it ain't nothing to cut on the news now. And we done seen a road rage incident, fatal. We see folks fighting in the grocery stores. <laughs> You know, you know, all this, uh, because they feel justified in their anger. But James tells us that anger does not produce the righteousness of God. It doesn't. So even though the scripture says we angry and sin not, we got to be careful that that anger is aligned. Because there are some things that we can be angry about. The injustices in our world, 
the mistreatment of people. I mean, and the, God got mad when they was using the temple for something other than what it was designed for, and he came in and flipped over some tables. We flipping over tables, and we flipping over tables over the wrong stuff. We, we come in church wanting to flip over tables, but we flipping over the tables about the wrong stuff. We're getting upset about the wrong things. And so we have to begin to align ourselves. Um, I, think the, uh, I think it's the um, new, uh, new Living Translation. It says, human anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Human anger, which means there's a God anger. Our anger don't produce nothing but a mess. God's anger will bring alignment. It will deliver people. It will save people. It will heal people. His anger, all right? So, and when we think about this, this word, this, this concept of uh, righteousness, it is, it's, it's a uh, judicial term, and it's, it's God's divine approval. So our human anger cannot produce divine approval in anything. It just cannot. I, I read this. I read this. Here's what our anger does. It says, anger, this is a quote by uh, Kelly Randolph that I found. It says, anger takes the scaffold of correction and turns it into the acts of criticism. It takes discipline, which builds up, and turns it into abuse, which tears down. Anger turns a person inward to the point where the only thing that matters is their feelings and their cause. That's when we operate in human anger, and that does not produce the righteousness, the right living that God is commanding us, his people, his sons and his daughters to live. Amen? So you got to adopt the attitude to be what? Quick to what? Quick to what? Y'all ain't hearing, y'all ain't hearing. <laughs> you got to just... <laughs> You got to adopt the attitude to be what? Quick to what? Hear. Quick to hear and do what? Slow to what? Okay, you got to adopt that attitude. Then we got to deal with that anger that does not produce healthy relationships. But then the last thing James tells us in verse 21, James tells us that we have to accept God's word. And it literally says that we have to accept God's word and, that, and, and know that it has the power to save, to heal our relationships. Amen? Look at that verse. He says, so get rid of all filthiness, all filth. I'm reading from the uh, New Living Translation. So get rid of all the filth and the evil in your lives and humbly accept, not arrogantly. All right, God, you said it, I'm going to do it. No, humbly. God, I thank you for not striking me down in my mess. I am going to accept what your word says, and I'm going to walk this out. Humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. So a couple of things in there. First of all, we got to get rid of the filth. We got to get rid of the filth in our lives. That moral, those things that defile us. And I'm not just talking about just physical, moral filth, those, that stuff that that those things that lay on our soul, in our mind, our thoughts, our will, our emotions, 
all of that, that that stains all of that. So then when he says get rid of the filth, he's talking about that stuff that can't nobody see. Mm. Yeah, because we quick to clean up what folks can see. But he wants to deal with the stuff. He said get rid of that stuff that people cannot see. But let me say this, because see, the enemy think he's slick. He, he'll try to trick us. Here's the thing. If it's in you, I don't care how much you try to cover it, it's going to come out. All right. The pressure is going to come, and that, that the real you is going to come up and out. So it is to your advantage to deal with it. Because it's going to come out, and it will come out in the most opportune, in, in opportune moments. You ever been in a place that you said, so you'd be like, where did that come from? What, what? I, that ain't, it was in you. You can't blame nobody but you, because it was in you. So, the, but, so he says, first of all, get rid of the filth. Get rid of it. Pack it up. Send it away. Destroy it. Don't just pack it up and stick it in the corner. Uh Uh-uh. Get rid of it so that it is no longer there. It is no longer visible. But the way you rid yourself of any moral filth is that you got to begin to align yourself with this. The, The word of God is what will get rid of the filth in your mind, in your heart, and in your emotions. It is this and only this. I don't care how many... How many gospel songs and CDs you buy? If you do not pick this word up, I don't care how many sermons you hear, if you do not pick this word up and study it for yourself, you got to study. You are not off the hook because we have such good pastors. You are not off the hook from studying and getting in this word yourself. You ain't off the hook from that. And if you want to walk free of filth, you got to get in the Word. So not only does he say get rid of the filth, we got to get rid of the evil. It's two different things, y'all. So that evil is the wickedness, those those vicious dispositions that we have that kind of lie right up under the surface, that old self, all that malice and spite, that we at once maybe perhaps walked in that just sitting right up under the surface of our little saved selves. We got to get rid of that. And Ephesians and Colossians both tell us three things. You got to put to death, you got to put off, and you got to put on. So your Bible study lesson, if you don't know what Ephesians 4 and Colossians, and Colossians 3, get in there and see what he tells us to put to death, what he tells us to put off, and what he tells us to put on, all right? That's how we rid ourselves of the evil and the filth that's in our body. Then he tells us that we have to humbly accept God's word that has been planted. Now, some versions say engrafted, all right? I am not a gardener, so I had to go look up what it meant to be engrafted or implanted because it's it's a gardening term, a horticultural term. And so grafting is this technique where they join two plants, where the horticulturalists will take two plants and make it one, all right? So instead of this, what they call cross-pollinating, where they put two seeds in and they cross-pollinate as they're in the dirt, 
what the horticulture will do, will take the root system of one plant and take a, a branch or a little piece of something into a, of another plant, cut a slit in the root system of the first one and tuck that down in there and then close it up and plant it. So then it begins to grow together as one. That's what God's word does for us. He is the root, the foundation. And what happens when we accept his word? He puts a little slit in us. And he takes his word and he sets it down in us. And he binds us up with the Holy Ghost. So that as we go and grow, we are walking and we become like Christ. The engrafted, implanted word of God. So listen, that's why we humbly, because we know, God knows when he cut that slit, what was in us. And yet he takes his word. And he inserts this in us. And then he gives us the Holy Spirit to wrap us in like, almost like a cocoon so that this word begins to take root in our lives. And we begin to look like sheep. We hope you've enjoyed this message. For more information on other products and materials, please contact us at 770-484-9300, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Or visit our website at www.newcov.org. If you're in the Atlanta area, we invite you to join us for one of our dynamic services. Once again, thank you for receiving the living word of God from New Covenant Christian Ministries, where we are transforming all people into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ.